Hello everyone, it's Dr. Anna Kabeca here with another episode of Couch Talk. So this is where we have intimate, shameless, guiltless conversations to help you achieve your optimal health. So as you know, I'm a, I am a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist, board-certified in anti-aging, regenerative medicine, and expert in women's sexual health, as well as hormone balancing and using bioidentical hormones, empowering the body to restore itself. I'm the creator of Mighty Maca Greens, a health drink, made up over 42 superfoods from around the world, as well as the online educational programs, womensrestorativehealth.com and sexualcpr.com. Today on Couch Talk, I am thrilled to introduce to you Jessica Drummond, who I have been watching her work and rise and, and her mission in life, really just looking at what she's doing to promote women's health in a very sensitive area that is difficult to address and challenging in general to treat, not, not to mention difficult to talk about, and a very sensitive issue as well. So we're today we're going to talk about pelvic health, pelvic pain, and fertility, empowering our fertility, as well as preparing for pregnancy, and, and what that entails. So Jessica Drummond, who I'm going to introduce to you today, is a founder and CEO of the Integrative Women's Health Institute. She is a passionate woman and she is caring for and empowering women who struggle with pelvic health conditions. She's equally passionate about educating and supporting clinicians in confidently and safely using integrative tools to transform women's and pelvic health care, which is, again, it's like I wish she lived in my area and trained people in my area and I will send them to her because it is so difficult to get a pelvic trained physical therapist, someone who is comfortable in treating pelvic pain problems, and also that women would feel comfortable seeking help from. So this is what she's doing, what her mission is, and, and what she's empowering. So I'm really excited that she is here with us today to give us some insight into what you can do as also maybe where if you're a client with pelvic pain, you can then share this call with your healthcare providers. And this is a big gift to them as well, because when we're looking for answers to help our patients, we need to know reliable sources to go to. And she is setting the gold standard. So she's had over a decade of experience as a pelvic floor physical therapist, and she's owned her own women's health clinical nutrition and coaching practice, which has given her a unique perspective working one-on-one -on -one in clients and also working with, you know, the clients, you know, physicians. So, so that's been key to give her insight and really how to help restore pelvic health and manage pain. She is also has been educated at the University of Virginia and also my alma mater, Emory University. She um, has also studied at the Institute of Integrative Nutrition and Duke Integrative Medicine. She's currently a doctoral student in clinical nutrition at Maryland University of Integrative Health. So Jessica, it's really a thrill to have you here with us today. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you so much, Anna. It's my pleasure. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Well, Jessica, tell us how you got started to subspecialize or specialize in women's public health. Well, I started my career in physical therapy, as, as many of us do, in sports medicine, orthopedics. And one of my early patients, I was working with her with a shoulder injury. She had had breast cancer surgery, and we were 
looking to get her mobility back in her shoulder. And I realized that there are women's health issues that really at that time, this was probably in 1999, were not being addressed at all. You know, we were rarely seeing patients like this. And so I started getting additional training in helping women who are pregnant and struggling with orthopedic issues like back pain, neck pain from breastfeeding, you know, wrist issues, all kinds of postural problems resulting from pregnancy and breastfeeding. And, you know, eventually I became trained in really deep therapies of the pelvic floor, which, you know... At the time, again, it was very rare, it's still quite rare, to have a really skilled um, physical therapist who works with the muscles of the pelvic floor. Because while, you know, if you can think of it this way, a lot of our patients that have chronic migraines have issues of neck musculoskeletal problems or upper back musculoskeletal problems. So women who have pelvic pain, which can be just as debilitating, or if not worse than uh, chronic migraines, their issues can begin with musculoskeletal problems of the pelvic floor, of the pelvic joints, of the hips, of the lower back, uh, the deep abdominal muscles. And so I became trained in working with those, those muscles and helping women to have more um, understanding of how their pelvic anatomy worked and how much voluntary, voluntary control they had over their pelvic muscles. Um, issues of continence is a big problem, you know, around pre pregnancy, but also some, in some sports, 80% of female athletes have uh, stress urinary incontinence before they even ever have any children. So this can be a whole lifespan issue. It's not necessarily just a menopause or after baby kind of issue. But you know, really my love was for patients who are struggling with, with chronic pelvic pain because it's so life disrupting. There's a lot of shame around it, difficulty with relationships and, you know, their sexual identity. And so when I actually physically had my own health issues after the birth of my first daughter, so around 2004 to 2006, um, I realized that some of the things I did nutritionally to get my hormones back in balance after the birth of my daughter were effective with some of the patients that I was struggling with who were, we were hitting roadblocks. They were getting better in terms of their musculoskeletal health, um, but they might still have pain at certain times in the month or certain foods would flare them up and we didn't really know what they were. So I started investigating that and that's how I began to bring this approach, a, a sort of more holistic functional medicine approach into pelvic floor physical therapy. I wanted my colleagues to understand this as well. Uh, that's excellent because you made so many really good points. First of all, that the pelvic floor issues span a lifetime, right? Yeah. And they can come and they can go. <coughs> but also what we see is you know, how our nutrition, how our microbiome affects you know, these pelvic floor issues span a lifetime. And as a gynecologist, too, getting these skills into the, our clinical hands, because we're doing pelvic exams every day. We're seeing patients come in with recurrent vaginal infections, issues with incontinence, <coughs> prolapse, mm -hmm. um, pelvic pain and pressure, aseptic vaginitis, which was like, there's no definition, there's nothing to tell us what aseptic vaginitis is. And for me, that's inflammatory bowel disease of the vagina. We need a mm. name for it. 
-hmm. And until we remove the food sensitivities, do we actually heal? Until we restore the GI tract, do we heal? So as a, as a physical therapist, dealing with these things and relating it to the pelvic floor, adding nutrition and restorative medicine in is huge, let alone the pelvic physical therapy. And to make it real for clients, I want to give an example. You know, when I, I was treating a client as a, as a, um, uh, for a concierge clinic, and she traveled uh, basically around the country to top pelvic floor specialists, and she finally had um, come across one who did actual pelvic floor, you know, internal, so as muscle release. And, and so what, what, you know, she came to me, and it was, it was tragic because she'd been struggling for years with this. And I'd learned that in osteopathic medical school, but, you know, you have to, you know, you have to like practice it and work with it, but it was able to show her and show her husband how to perform that release so that she didn't suffer the pelvic pain because her life was so restricted. I mean, she had difficulty standing or walking for long periods or sitting for long periods. It was constant discomfort and that she'd been dealing with for a, her lifetime essentially and so it's really critical to know that no matter where you're at or how long you've had this physical health problem that there's there's a treatment there's an answer there's something we can do about it the other thing jessica like you i mean when i delivered my first child i was in residency and and um my uh, my oldest was born in 1996 and i had and she was a big baby they asked me do i want episiotomy and i was like no you know i've been working on stretching the pelvic floor and all my you know stuff that i was trying to do and conditioning the pelvic floor and so we didn't do an episiotomy, but I had an anterior tear. Mm. And I learned very quickly that's the last thing. All was applied. Rectal tears, downward tears. You know, we don't want any tears, but if we do have them downward, not upward, that took years to heal. That mm -hmm. took years to heal. And, and you can think, okay, there's nothing I can, you know, there's nothing you can do about it, but there is. And we need to work on healing that and we can get complete restoration because it does, it causes pelvic pain you know, difficulty with intercourse, painful intercourse, et cetera. And we want to restore from that. And then we go into the menopause and then we struggle with vaginal dryness, discharge, weakening of the tissue, thinning of the tissue, discharge after sex or irritation and bleeding and incontinence and those issues. And we have to know that we can restore that as well. And we can restore it quickly. The vagina, when I lecture on vaginal health, I always say, you know, it is essential for life. And we can tell a lot about a person from the vagina. Excellent. Absolutely. We can. <laughs> Yeah, and I think, you know, the important message that I think you brought up is it really is never too late. I mean, I worked with women who were struggling with chronic pelvic pain for 7, 10, 15 years, and it's challenging because there are so many aspects to pain. There is the brain's interpretation of pain. There is centralized pain in some women. There are There's organ crosstalk, so kind of like you talked about IBS of the vagina, you know, a lot of times there's just plain IBS that's talking to the endometriosis or the, you know, ovarian cysts or the fibroids or, you know, what, the pelvic floor, um, constipation is a problem, long-term straining. So, and there are these very local issues which 
come up sort of like your, your post-birth story, you know, the tissues of the pelvic floor and specialized physical therapists are so good at this of figuring out, you know, where are maybe some restrictions around the soft tissue around the urethra or the clitoris or, um, you know, local pubococcygeus, which is the muscle that's one of the muscles is kind of like a little hammock where your organs are supposed to be supported in the pelvis and not always we deal with prolapse. So I, I know it's, it can be a big struggle because a lot of times, especially after birth, women are told, Oh, you know, this is fine. It'll get better on its own. I know sex hurts. Just have a glass of wine and deal with it. You know, it's not true. The, the, it's not normal for sex to hurt. It's not normal for your period cramps to be so intense that you can't go to work or school, you know, and there are a lot of things that can be done, but you do need someone who's very skilled. I just came back from uh, San Diego, the International Pelvic Pain Society meeting. And, you know, we're looking at parts of the brain that light up with pain. We're looking at inflammatory mediators with bladder issues and endometriosis and um, vulvodynia and other pelvic pain conditions. And we're looking at really local musculoskeletal issues. And all of these often come into play with women who've been dealing with this, even if it's fairly acute, but certainly if they've been dealing with it for years. So true. And Jessica, I'm going to want to, we're going to give our audience some practical tips on dealing with pelvic pain as well as fertility and, you know, optimizing our fertility especially if we've been struggling with infertility, as well as preparing for pregnancy. But before we do, I want you also to tell people, I know we're going to have a link on my website for a bonus gift that you're giving on um, uh, how to confidently and effectively add preconception and perinatal wellness services to your practice. So we're giving that as a gift so our listeners can, their clinicians take it and run with it or send it to their clinician, listen to it themselves, correct? But yes. tell people where they can find you, your website, and where they can find experts in pelvic health. Absolutely. So gynecologist. Yes, absolutely. So my uh, website is integrativewomenshealthinstitute.com. So you can always connect with me there if you can't find someone. But other great places to look are... Uh, the section on women's health uh, of the American Physical Therapy Association has a directory of clinicians. There is also another training school for physical therapists, pelvic floor specialists uh, called the Herman and Wallace Institute, and they have a directory of some clinicians who've been trained by them. Another thing you can do is literally go on Twitter and uh, ask for someone in your area and use the hashtag pelvic mafia. <laughs> which is crazy, but there's some really skilled clinicians who follow that hashtag. Um, and they're very well connected to physicians uh, and surgeons and specialists uh, of all kinds of psychologists, nutritionists. So uh, Pelvic Mafia on Twitter. And I would say the other thing is the International Pelvic Pain Society is a community of multidisciplinary clinicians of all kinds from all over the world. And so connecting with clinicians that are members of that organization or who have spoken at their conferences um, is, is another good option. Excellent. Okay, great. So integrative health, health uh, integrative, health. integrative women's health institute.com. Integrative women's health institute.com. Plus I know you're on Facebook. 
Yes. Mm -hmm. We have a Facebook page, Integrative Women's Health as well. Okay, perfect. Good. So that's another place for people to go and see as well. And then hashtag Pelvic Mafia and get some other resources too. Yes. Thank you. Now let's talk about when you're addressing someone with that pelvic pain, whether it's um, from endometriosis or um, they're having dyspareunia, painful sex, or if they're just having um, chronic pelvic pain issues. How would yeah. you start address and what techniques would you use or recommend? Well, I don't currently do hands-on pelvic floor physical therapy, but having had like 10 years in the field, I know how that would begin. So first, you definitely would look locally, and I often collaborate with pelvic floor physical therapists who look at the muscle tissue. Are there muscle tension issues? Is there what we call pelvic congestion, where you've got essentially a lack of lymph flow in the pelvis? Uh, Is the woman connected to her pelvic floor enough? Does she understand that she has voluntary control to contract and relax more importantly because doing things like kegels over and over is not going to be helpful but you know learning to let go of those muscles and sometimes manual therapy techniques it was essentially as massage to the pelvic floor internally and externally looking at the hip function any pain in the hip in the back any referred pain down the legs or in the abdomen Sometimes there are surgical scars that we deal with post C-section or post, um, say, sewing up an episiotomy or other kinds of pelvic surgery. So that's the, the physical therapy kind of lens. And then what I do now is more from a nutrition, functional medicine perspective is I look at starting really with digestion. So everything really often does come back to the gut, right? And so is a woman chewing her food adequately? Is she eating under stress or slowly? What is her relationship like with her chronic pain condition? Does she have support and help for that? Or is her family starting to feel really resentful that she's been in pain and, you know, she's frustrated? Does she have some emotional challenges that we, we walk through? And then we look at, from the gut, we look at you know, are there food sensitivities? And I've, I've actually created what we call the pelvic pain elimination diet because in the literature, there's actually a wide variety of food sensitivities that are associated with pelvic pain conditions. And, and in the case studies that have been published, they're very different for each woman. It's not like all everyone needs to be off gluten or everyone needs to be off dairy. It's highly variable. The most common ones are dairy, gluten, soy, and sugar. Um, or any form of sugar, which unfortunately includes caffeine and alcohol. Um, So that kind of taking away the foods that are irritating the digestive system is the first step, and then optimizing the function of both the digestive system and the detoxification systems. Because in a lot of conditions, certainly things like uh, endometriosis and fibroids, where there's this overgrowth challenge, we have what's called uh, estrogen dominance being a problem. And often that's because the liver is not adequately processing estrogen. So supporting with leafy greens, green drinks, that kind of thing, uh, certain kinds of B vitamins, depending on the genetic makeup of individual women. Um, And, you know, I think it's important to understand that minimizing the toxic load is the first step. So there are lots of things that women can do to reduce toxins. And this is really important 
prenatally as well. So even if you don't have pain of any kind, but you want to get healthy prior to pregnancy, you want to reduce, you know, the kinds of environmental chemicals you're putting on your skin or using in your shampoos or you're using to clean your house. Um, because all of that, it, the liver has a strong capacity to deal with it, but only to a certain extent. And we don't want to overload the liver. We want to support it and minimize the work it has to do. So what are some of the most common reasons that you see that women struggle with pelvic pain and infertility um, have? What are the most common reasons? I would say the number one for both would be endometriosis. So, and endometriosis is challenging. It, the gold standard now of treatment is to have excision surgery. If you know, it can only be diagnosed by laparoscopy, and then a very, I would look for just an absolutely brilliantly skilled surgeon to find and excise the endometriosis. But after that, the story doesn't end. You know, we want to then use all of these nutrition tools and lifestyle tools and pelvic floor musculoskeletal treatment to really reduce the inflammation that goes along with endometriosis. Support hormone levels. We want to really increase progesterone levels, which can be done with you know, food in many cases. Uh, definitely with endometriosis, we have issues with gluten sensitivity in a lot of cases. Um, so it's a very multidisciplinary approach. Um, the other thing that I see commonly, two other things that are the most common in terms of uh, infertility and pelvic pain are PCOS. So women who have PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, have painful cysts. They often have pelvic pain and sexual pain, especially those women that have the highest levels of testosterone and the biggest challenges with insulin resistance. So we want to work on hormone balance, um, you know, reducing sugar absolutely in the diet. That can be managed much better with a, a more conservative approach. Um, you know, endometriosis is also potentially can be managed with a conservative approach, but in the most severe cases, it, it often does require surgery. Um, and then uh, the other one that's most common, and I actually personally struggled with this when I was dealing with my own hormonal issue between my two girls. So my two kids are seven years apart, and I simply had a pretty bad case of adrenal fatigue. And when you don't, when your body is under stress, even if you don't really recognize it, it depletes your sex hormones. And this is where the mighty maca, I think, is, is the best thing we can pull in here because maca works really well for low estrogen and low sex hormones. If you were dragging and you're 32 years old like I was, you need to restore your relationship with stress. You need to change how you're eating. And things like maca and other herbs, which really support super, I, I guess, we want to be like overly nourished. We want to be just really nourishing these women in all possible ways with physical, you know, connection, emotional connection, and foods that are really high in nutrition and support hormone balance. Because I struggled for about three and a half years with secondary fertility with no, you know, no structural issues, no kind of quote unquote hormonal issues on any standard testing. Um, but my adrenal fatigue, my cortisol numbers were terrible. What were some aspects, what were some things that you integrated to help you overcome this? To overcome my infertility? Yeah. Um, you know, really, 
it came down to nutrition. I almost completely eliminated sugar for several years, ate a lot more protein, a lot more healthy fats. You know, we at that time, so this is probably like 2003 to 2010, kind of in this range, you know, and, and earlier, the, the dogma was a low-fat diet is healthy for health, uh, for heart health. And my dad had a, had a heart attack in his 50s. He's still alive. He's fine. Um, but, you know, that was my family history. And so I had been on a low-fat diet since I was a teenager, which is the worst thing you can do for a female teenager, childbearing years, you know. So really enhancing healthy fats, you've got to, hormones are built with fat. And so thus babies are built with fat, right? And so we, I changed my diet quite significantly. I started going to sleep a lot more, um, changed my relationship with stress, things that, you know, we had moved a lot, things that bothered me. I started to look at how I was responding and it was a hundred percent natural approach. Some herbal uh, supplements like maca, and, you know, once my body was physically healthy, it took me like two months to get pregnant. That's so true. You know, I struggled also with secondary infertility and was told at 39, I was in complete premature menopause. I had ovarian failure and the only way I could conceive another child would be through egg donation. Mm. So, you know, my journey took me around the world to find answers, but part of that was exactly getting hormone, hormonally balanced getting my body back in touch with nature and alkaline, right? Just yeah. Try to move out the acid, eliminate the sugar and, and do a lot of those stress management techniques. And, you know, I, I put that into my program as the ABCs of sexual CPR is like, how do we revive ourselves basically? And yeah. that's part of it, but so true. So, you know, I have many clients who are in their forties trying to conceive, and for my practice, a few of the things that we start with essentially is detoxification, right? Let's mm -hmm. detox, enable your body to optimize the hormones that it's producing naturally and, and um, decrease any endocrine disruptors, et cetera. So we go through a medical foods and mod beta elimination diet detox. And then two is hormonal balance, right? We want to empower the hormones. Progesterone's huge for my infertility clients. And in the rare case, I have someone with progesterone sensitivity will go to pregnenolone will support DHEA, mm. certainly addressing those issues of adrenal fatigue. So many clients have come to me with infertility and have had IVF and have failed, and they never had an adrenal workup. Mm -hmm. They never had a toxicity workup. And it's hard for me to hear that because, you know, I know they've invested not just money, but their heart. Mm. And every negative pregnancy test is a pregnancy loss and yeah. it's grieving and we don't acknowledge it like we should and we really do need to because it i mean it's it's it you know it affects our soul and so coming to peace with that and being able to again attempt again these are strong people right very strong people so we really need to do this empowerment and like you said the nutritional aspects like what we would you know when we're pregnant we have this heightened awareness of what we want to feed and nourish ourselves as well as with our babies so in the pre-pregnancy stage is really empowering that and then key supplements 
omega-3s, DHA, right? Carnitine, mm -hmm. carnitine, I would use yes. very high potent, very clean carnitine, and that's essential. Methylated folate, small doses. The prescription prenatals as an obstetrician were always subpar to what mm. I used. And I'll tell our listeners, the Metagenics prenatal packs, Zymogen prenatal packs, Dr. Ben Lynch's prenatal packs. I mean, those are the, those are what we want to get. Your prescription prenatal is just not going to do it. Well, and especially for women who've had pelvic health issues, because, you know, we know now that when women are just taking high doses of folic acid, the, the, um, the, uh, synthetic form of folate, they actually have an increased risk of colon cancer. So if they've already had colon problems and IBS or IBD or, you know, struggling with constipation, we don't want to worsen that risk with high dose folic acid. We definitely want to use a methylated folate supplement. And those, those professional brands are much better. And I think, you know, um, I 100% agree with you. And one of the things I do from a coaching perspective is really have, you know, women and their partners need to reconnect emotionally after going through infertility treatment. And a lot of times, especially when I was working in hands-on pelvic floor PT, when you've lost your ability to have sex in a spontaneous, relaxed, healthy, happy, non-painful way for years, the relationships suffer. And so a lot of times the partners would come in and I would just really help them to build bridges between each other, both physically and emotionally, because the partners really do care and they want to understand a woman's anatomy. But I've had women who, you know, had babies, multiple babies, and still didn't have a very good understanding of their pelvic floor anatomy. And so it's hard for them to connect and explain to their partners, like what positions feel comfortable and you know, they, it's hard to relax during sex when you don't know if it's going to be painful in any given moment. So really having some uh, deep communication support between couples, both for the emotional challenges of, of multiple infertility, but also long-term sexual pain, uh, rebuilding that connection is essential. That's so crucial. You know, one of the things I tell women is, because it, it's often subconscious, like, I just don't want to have sex anymore. I'm like, well, mm -hmm. if you were playing baseball, and every time you got up to bat, and you got hit by the ball, would you want to play baseball? I mean, right. seriously, it's right. negative feedback. You're like, I don't know why I don't like that sport. But pretty much if you get hit by the ball every time, you kind of know. But with, with sex, it's the same thing. If you're having pain, discomfort, irritation, you know, it hurts. You're not you know, not present, that you're not enjoying. The reason is to build enjoyment, connection, restore, restore that connection. God designed intimacy so that we restore our connection and we maintain our relationship for our lifetimes. And that's so crucial. And when we go into, especially after postpartum, it's mm -hmm. one of those times, perimenopause, menopause, another one of those times, there's the potential to disconnect because we're uncomfortable, but we don't have the voice for it. We're not able to express ourselves or we're not getting the help that we need. And so at, for clients, often I've used progesterone postpartum along mm -hmm. the pelvic floor, hugely beneficial. Also in the menopause, perimenopause, you know, our, you know, one of the hormone creams I've created is the Pure Balance Progesterone Pregnenolone Combination Cream, which can be applied to the vulva. I'm coming out with the DHEA Combination Vulvar Cosmetic Cream, and that's amazing. And that is really helpful to restoring the muscular layers of the um, vulva 
and vaginal tissue as well. So excited about that. But your prescribers can write vaginal hormones for you. And through a compounding pharmacy, use vaginal hormones to strengthen the pelvic floor. Jessica, when I was doing pelvic sling procedures, I remember one day I did six pelvic sling procedures. And, and they're great. But you know all the consequences of pelvic slings is erosions, erosions, pain, etc. Thankfully, I didn't have those. But when I would see clients with this, I started using vaginal hormones, and that would restore the tissue. And also, I started using vaginal hormones before I would operate, and then mm. I didn't need to operate because the incontinence went away. So yeah. it is, and it, whether you've had a sling, didn't have a sling, you have incontinence, you have vaginal dryness, let's get hormones right to the tissue where they belong versus taking high dose oral hormones to try to get there. Let's put it directly where it needs to be and safe. And I will say odorless, you know, tasteless. That's really important. Your compounder can do this. They can make vaginal tablets. They can do all these things. So um, I've worked with pharmacies to do that. And compounding pharmacies are expert at it. So I highly recommend getting in touch with your physician. Now, do you offer that instruction in your courses too to providers to understand mm -hmm. what pelvic floor vaginal hormone therapy can, um, is that part of your programs too? I'd love we, to I don't really talk about that, although I'm starting to think you need to be a guest speaker on our program. <laughs> because as a nutritionist and as a physical therapist, we don't prescribe hormones. We collaborate with physicians um, to do that. So, and most of my training is, is designed for non-physician clinicians. Um, but although actually we've had quite a number of physicians do the program because they need the, everything else. You know, they know a lot of times more of the, the medication options, although they don't know that degree a lot of times. And I think that's important because absolutely right. We see the best results when we're collaborating as pelvic floor PTs, because if you're doing a lot of manual therapy work and the tissues are very fragile, painful. you know, it's painful. It, you have to be much gentler. You can't get as good results. Doing, doing it in combination with uh, local hormones is often essential. Yeah. Um, so we, we do need to add that piece for sure. But with, for the physicians that are doing pelvic exams, but not necessarily looking at the muscles, you know, they kind of put the speculum in and move the muscles out of the way. There are a lot, you know, of pieces of that, that are important. We need to understand what the muscular anatomy is, but I think going back to just the whole person approach, you know, in the pelvis, it's a confluence of digestive system and reproductive system and bladder. And so we can't look at just one subspecialty in the pelvis because these organs all talk to each other. So as clinicians, we really have to be thinking, even if we are, you know, physical therapists or obstetricians and we're looking right at the vulva and we're looking right at the vagina, we've got to think, well, are they having constipation? So they're straining every day. Well, that's of course going to make the, um, the incontinence worse, you know, or are they having a lot of bladder pain at night and they're not getting a lot of sleep and they've had chronic pain? Well, that's going to contribute to adrenal fatigue, which is going to knock the hormones out of balance. So it's a, it's really a whole person approach that we have to consider in the, in, for women struggling with these issues. That's so true. I mean, really, because you have to look at those aspects too in treating pelvic floor dysfunction or pelvic floor health. 
What about um, what about Kegel or pubococcygeal muscle exercises? Prefer to use that term, or using the weighted balls in the vagina, or magnetic um, therapy for the pelvic floor, or tens units. So these are some instruments that we can use in the pelvic floor. Sounds yeah. So you know, pel so pelvic floor exercises, you know, we've got Kegel, Dr. Kegel was the first one who thought of, you know, essentially just contracting the muscles of the pelvic floor, trying to stop the flow of urine. That's how women understand that uh, most basically. There are lots of different ways to do pelvic floor muscles. Sometimes it's an endurance problem. Sometimes it's a, uh, a uh, like a how strong and fast can someone contract, contract their pelvic floor. And these muscles are, I mean, these exercises are most appropriate in women who have challenges maintaining continence, um, prolapse, postpartum, they're trying to regain the stability of all of the pelvic and lower abdominal muscles that have been overstretched. Um, or if, you know, they had an injury, say, to the spine or a really heavy lifting and they just lack strength and stability in the pelvic floor. Um, you know, there was a, a video about like a bunch of CrossFit athletes lifting really heavy weights and then peeing. And that was like a badge of honor. That's terrible because you're just blowing out your support. And, you know, the biggest cause of death for women in their elder age is falling and having a hip fracture, which happens because they're getting up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, right? So all through our lives, we want to be really concentrating on strength of the pelvic floor. But those kinds of exercises are not appropriate for women that have pelvic pain, because often it's an if issue of, um, generally the muscles are actually rather weak, but they're, if you think of like, if you're walking around carrying like 80 pounds in your arm, and you never straightened your arm, you know, you don't have that full range of motion, same thing with the muscles of the pelvic floor, you don't know how to relax, they can be weak, but very tight, very shortened. Mm -hmm. So, and then um, the other tools like TENS units are helpful for uh, pain, essentially it's a, a connection, it kind of changes the pain input to the brain, so that helps with educating women about how much control they have over their brain's interpretation of pain. And we're learning a lot about this, that pain is such a biopsychosocial phenomenon. If you're afraid, your pain can be worsened. If you've had a history of pain, your pain can be worsened. There are memories of pain that can be worsened. There, I've even seen some recent data about memories going back generations that can be passed down in your DNA. So women can begin to shift their perspective of pain and the, the the brain is plastic so we can kind of train pathways in the brain to reduce pain but i want i don't want any women to hear when i say that that we think the pain is all in your head it's absolutely not it's real pain and it's being interpreted by your brain in a certain way and it's nice that we have potentially a lever in your brain's interpretation of pain to help reduce it. But I 100% think that every woman who's struggling with pain has real pain. Um, and then I actually have not personally used vaginal or uh, magnet therapy in, in the pelvis. I just saw uh, some of my colleagues were starting to wear, you know, magnetized underwear to kind of test it out and see what they thought. I don't know of any studies off it uh, about that on the top of my head. And then finally, the I wouldn't actually, generally speaking, recommend walking around with pelvic floor weights uh, inside your vagina. Number one, 
usually they're not very effective because you're going to just like have them sitting in a pocket of space in your vagina. You're not going to be actively holding them there. And you wouldn't actually want to actively hold something in your vagina all day long the same way as you wouldn't want to carry around a jug of milk like in your arm all day long. The muscle isn't designed to just carry something all day long. It's designed to contract when it needs to, to relax when it needs to, to maintain continence. Um, But we do use some kinds of wands and dilators and things like that to help um, stretch out the muscles of the pelvic floor in an appropriate way, using some vaginal weights as a a feedback tool when a woman, it's hard to tell, like, am I really contracting this muscle correctly? You know, so if you're in the hands of a physical therapist and you have specific exercises with those tools, that can be very valuable, but you just don't want to walk around all day with vaginal weights, you know, hanging out in your vagina. Right. Good point. (laughs) Um, Be selective with those. Now, um, Jessica, I want to hit just on, before we close on, um, recommendations for male and female fertility, uh, nutrition wise, et cetera. What are the, your key recommendations to optimize fertility, female fertility and male infertility, especially if women have been on birth control pill for a long time. So let's, let's talk about that because we know that birth control pills can disrupt our feedback mechanisms within our body. Also it's high amounts of estrogen and, um, synthetic progestins and it requires many of our micronutrients and macronutrients to metabolize these hormones. So we become magnesium deficient, zinc, et cetera. So there are some issues there with nutrient insufficiency with long-term birth control use, as well as estrogen dominance, et cetera. So you've have a couple coming in. She's been on birth control pills for seven or more years and, and he has a low optimum sperm count. So I think for men, the first place I would go is the gut. We do know that uh, the gut microbiome is out of balance in in men who have suboptimal uh, sperm, uh, I would say sperm quality and seminal fluid and improving their lactobacillus. We don't know the specific strains yet, but lactobacillus is a kind of probiotic and also foods that encourage butyrate production in the colon. So that's complicated, but basically it means you need to eat more green bananas, butter, uh, coconut oil, um, green bananas and other resistant starches like cooked potatoes that are cooled, things like that, uh, certain kinds of starches. So encouraging certain kinds of bacteria in the the, um, colon has a specific impact on two things for male fertility. One is seminal fluid and, and sperm quality. And then the second is uh, this barrier called the, the blood testes barrier. So we've got the blood brain barrier. We've got all these barriers in the body that are supposed to keep certain things from being in other places. And interestingly, the blood testes barrier is one of the tightest barriers in the body. So we want that to stay tight and certain uh, microbiome compositions lead to that more than others. So go back to the gut for your partner. And then for the women, yes. So she's been on birth control pills for many years. Several things are going on. Number one, sometimes sex hormone binding globulin can continue to be elevated, which is a protein. I want to interrupt Jessica, because for I want men, I want women to also 
to hear this for men too, because it's important to, if men have a low sperm count, that we're looking at, again, that detox factor is really important. Part of that is healing the GI tract, but detoxing as well, because of all the endocrine disruptors can drive testosterone down and decrease sperm mm. production. So we definitely want to do that. No alcohol, you know, boxer shorts are great. Stay out of like really hot temperatures. But in general, I mean, that's key. The other, again, same thing to improve sperm mitochondria, we work with adding zinc, arginine to improve nitric oxide synthase and synthetase, and as well as um, carnitine and methylated B vitamins, including methylfolate. So those were some, those are some and healthy fats. Like you said, we want to get up that butyric acid. So those recommendations are key and then knowing which starches and how to eat those starches, which is another lesson in and of itself. But um, I've got to figure that one out. <laughs> but that's key, prebiotic, probiotic, uh, and, and very important for healing the gut and the GI tract. So ladies, I want you to listen to that too. It's important for our guys that they understand this is really, really important. Those sperm are fragile. That's why you need billions to our one egg. <laughs> True. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And those micronutrients, the same challenge with women, you know, we need men who are, men are exposed to so many estrogens in our environment, we really need to, to support the liver to be able to metabolize those. So and then for women, um, number one, I would start actually with looking at her baseline hormone balance, you know, do a cortisol, uh, diurnal cortisol saliva tests, see if she is struggling with any adrenal fatigue. And then if she's been on birth control pills for a long time, we need to restore nutrients. So the methylated B vitamins, she also needs to take those that the detoxification of the, of the birth control pill for years requires a lot of those and she may be depleted. Um, the other mineral that I think is so important, you mentioned magnesium and zinc essential, also selenium. And there's some good data that if you take selenium prior to pregnancy and through pregnancy, and it's a small amount, I believe it's 200 micrograms, um, you can significantly reduce your risk for postpartum hypothyroidism. And that's important because that's one of the times when the thyroid really you know, shows up going haywire. Hashimoto's can be triggered, other causes of hypothyroidism. So we want to address that preconception, or at least prenatally uh, would be good. So nutrient restoration, detoxification, which involves lowering the toxic load and supporting the liver with methylated vitamins, um, cruciferous vegetable, methylated B vitamins, cruciferous vegetables, lots of antioxidants, um, C, E, uh, polyphenols, and also the proteins that you mentioned, the amino acids. So you can't complete detoxification with having, without having high levels of carnitine and arginine and all of these other uh, amino acids. So just doing like a juice fast is actually not the way to go because you pull the toxins out, you actually, they're all hidden in fat, which is a little bit safer in the short term. And then you pull them all out with a juice fast. But if you're not eating any protein, you can't fully excrete them. So protein Basically, is- right. Yeah. Is these intermediate particles we know are even more toxic than the original toxins. So that phase two liver detox support is so crucial and you need to do that with protein. So I'm glad you made that point because that's a crucial 
error, certainly juice fasting can help you on the GI tract, decrease inflammation. But as far as the toxin removal, and remember, we want to protect our brains. So, um, so it's crucial that we eliminate those toxins safely. And we need protein to do that. Proteins and healthy fats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Well, okay. I want to tell, thank you so much, Jessica, for being with us today. You're a wealth of information. I'm glad you're doing what you're doing in training providers and physical therapists, et cetera, to um, address holistically women's health and women's pelvic health. So for our listeners, integrativewomenshealthinstitute.com to find Jessica Drummond, as well as on Facebook. And follow us, um, share this podcast. It's an iTunes podcast. Share this podcast or YouTube video with your um, providers, with your clinicians or with someone you know that's been struggling with pelvic pain. And I thank you for listening. Jessica, some ending closing words? You know, I think it it all goes back to what we talked about in the beginning, that despite the situation that you're in right now, even if it feels very hopeless, if if you're really struggling, there are really skilled clinicians out there who are working hard on pelvic pain issues and fertility issues and want to support you. So never lose hope. You're also the, not only these clinicians, but you, every woman has, you know, a lot of resilience. And I think trusting in that and learning to tap into it, uh, there's always hope. That's so, so true. Women have are tremendous at resilience and restoration. The body has tremendous healing healing capability. So Jessica, thank you so much for what you're doing. And thank you to all our listeners for being with us today. This is Dr. Anna Kabeca closing on Couch Talk. Thank you.